Welcome to Senior Straight Talk with Phyllis Amon and Rubina Chaudhry. Seniors deserve to have a life with respect, dignity, and fulfillment. But as we transition into elderhood, this doesn't always happen. Join us today as we discuss some of the most important issues that seniors face and provide much-needed answers to your questions. Now, here are Phyllis and Rubina. Welcome to Seniors Straight Talk, where we present informative conversations for the senior years of our lives. The show, formerly known as Voices for Elder Care Advocacy, has been rebranded with expanded content and topics. All previous episodes of Voices for Elder Care Advocacy can be found on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and is also available on all of your favorite podcast platforms. I'm Phyllis Amon, your host, and I'm so here to have back with me uh, Rubina Chaudhry, who was away for a few weeks. How are you doing, Rubina? I'm doing very well, Phyllis, and thank you very much for giving me the break. Yes, I know it was uh, well needed. It was um, self-care, right? It was uh, self-care, self-kindness, and self-compassion, as we say, because you've, you've gone through some um, you know, difficult times with, with your, your mom and um, some other personal issues, so we all need that time, and that's a, it's a good thing for people to realize to take time for themselves. Sometimes people feel that they, they, are, they can't do that, so I'm glad that you recognize that and were willing to take the time for yourself as well. So. And uh, Phyllis, I want to share one thing. Yes, people need to be mindful and to be able to do that. But I want to thank you for reminding me and encouraging me to do that. So I think not only we need to be mindful, people around us need to be mindful and say, hey, you know, take, take a month off and then come back and we'll, we'll start back on the same journey. So I want to thank you for reminding me of that. Oh, well, it was my pleasure, and, uh, you know, we've become friends over the past yeah. year and a half that we're doing this show. Actually, we're coming up almost two years, and, um, but not only if you're, you're close to someone, but if you recognize that somebody uh, really is, is having some tough times, encourage them to take some time for themselves and remind them. So I'm glad I was able to do that for you. Thank you. So with that, uh, we have a guest today that I'm proud to uh, introduce. Uh, Larry Minix was a CEO of Wesley Wood Center of Emory University, a comprehensive senior organization, and CEO of Leading Age, a national association of nonprofit providers. He was recognized as a top 50 leaders by the Nonprofit Times and a top 50 influencer of aging by Next Avenue. When he retired in 2015, Leading Age named its Leadership Academy after him. Leader, Leading Age Leadership Academy helps identify and cultivate healthcare leaders. He's on the board of trustees of AG Rhodes and on the board of directors of Trinity Continuing Care. He's also author of, author of the book Hallowed Ground, Stories of Successful Aging. And he quotes Albert uh, Camus, one of my favorite authors, he quotes him on the cover of his book, which says, in the midst of winter, I found there was within me an invincible summer. I mean, I just think that's the most beautiful and poetic way to refer to aging. So thanks, Larry, for being here today. Sure. Thank you for the opportunity. Oh, I'm so, I'm so glad to be able to talk to you with with somebody who has that mindset and has been in this field for so many years, um, 
Would you tell the listeners a little bit about your background information and how you came to this and leading age? Uh, sure. I, I um, uh, was uh, called to the ministry, um, a Methodist um, ministry, back when I was a teenager, and one thing led to another as I went through college and seminary and uh, did an internship. I was interested in ministry and management, um, and I wound up at Wesley Woods, which had a an administrative internship uh, program, and um, I didn't want to go. I told my advisor, "That's you know, that's a bunch of old people, and uh, you know, <laughs> I, that'll be depressing. I don't want to. I don't want to. We used to threaten my grandmother with that place, and I don't want to go spend an internship." And he said, "Too bad. They've got a really well organized internship, and you need some um, administrative experience." And uh, I walked into Wesley Woods on a snow and ice day. Uh, because I thought you were, I'd been working in a psychiatric hospital as a psych uh, aide on the, mostly on the evening and night shift, and so when you had bad weather, you showed up. So I showed up, nobody expected me to, and um, went to the nursing home, and they, um, one thing led to another, they gave me a, a, a white uniform to, uh, to wear, and my job was to feed and clean people uh, for the day. And um, I never had a dull day in 28 years there and never looked back. Awesome. That's, that's really fantastic. Um, you and I have had that conversation about what, what brings people to, to this field. Is it a calling? And um, it sounds from what you're saying that once you found it, uh, maybe it found you, that, that, that you, know, you were totally aligned with, with taking care of people that needed you and people that were older. You know, uh, you, I think uh, you, you hit the nail on the head. It, it found me. What um, um, I think Mark Twain um, had a great quote. He said, uh, the two most important days of a person's life are the day they were born and the day they understood why. And, oh, wow. Um, mm-hmm. And um, I've, I have been in many occasions... I've been in hundreds of uh, senior communities and services of um, all kinds, and um, I can't tell you how many times you say to yourself, this is why we do this. Our field doesn't produce its, uh, many of its own professionals like um, um, hospital administration does or public health administration does, so uh, we tend to get people that... Um, uh, can kind of wander onto the field and enjoy playing the game, and all of a sudden, um, I have a good friend named uh, Al, who for years was a first-rate uh, hospital administrator in the Emory in the Emory family system, and um, they asked him to go to Wesley Woods after I left to do what was probably some interim uh, leadership uh, stuff. And he fell in love with it and said uh, he he told uh, the people at Emory, "I want to do that full time. This is what I was meant to do." And a similar kind of um, uh, experience. So um, uh, I remember the first year or so as the CEO of um, uh, what's now Leading Age, um, we met with a group of about 70 or 75 leaders of different types throughout the country, different types of organizations, sizes, shapes, um, uh, large, small outreach organizations, institutions, and um, we asked them, uh, what keeps you up at night, so that we could plan um, the future of the association around their needs. I thought what kept them up at night would be not enough reimbursement, too many regulations, uh, trial attorneys, I mean, whatever. 
I didn't get any of that. Uh, what came back um, virtually universally was where's the next generation of leaders coming from and how do we identify and cultivate them. Okay. Uh, so that led to the idea of um, uh, we looked at different academic programs. Very few academic programs were producing enough leaders. And uh, somebody had the bright idea, well, look around at who's sitting at the table. Most of them were developed from within. Uh, they could be. They could have been a board member who was a banker in the community and fell in love with the mission. They could be. I got one good friend, CEO of a uh, of a very uh, successful large organization who started mopping floors in the nursing home on weekends when he was in college. Um, people that started in the kitchen, uh, mm-hmm. nurses that um, that uh, started out cleaning bedpans and mm. went on and got advanced degrees and now are CEOs. Mm. So. We said our leadership is among us, so let's find them and cultivate them. So we created the uh, Leading Age uh, Leadership Academy. I, I, um, I'll just interject that I actually uh, knew, uh, I know two, two people, one in particular. Um, well, uh, one started out as a, uh, came to this country and started out just what you say, he, he was started out as a pot washer, and he <laughs> became an administrator. Another one I know that started out as a secretary, and uh, became an administrator. Uh, but you and I had this kind of conversation um, the other day because I, my experience uh, working in so many skilled nursing facilities is that a lot of times people are promoted just because uh, they've been in a facility in a long period of time or they have a p- particular clinical expertise, but not really necessarily because they have leadership capabilities or um, really have demonstrated that they, they have talent in that area and nobody necessarily provides them mentorship or education on how to lead people, how to create teams, how to, uh, you know, have that vision that other people will begin to see. How, do, how would you address that issue? Well, um, you're absolutely right, and sometimes they're just trying to plug a hole. You know, somebody's got to be in charge. You got to have a license on the wall. You're you're desperate for uh, somebody to fill a role that legally has to be uh, filled, and uh, that's um, that's unfortunate. But um, but this is not the. Uh, it, in fact, it's the least desired healthcare profession. We're still the um, uh, still the bastard child at the healthcare family reunion. And uh, people don't know they want to do this until oftentimes they're in the middle of it and realize this is what they're, they were destined to do. So uh, that's why identifying people from within organizations was the approach uh, that we took. Um, so, it is, um, yeah. No, you it's go ahead. It's very Sorry. difficult um, because of the pressure, especially that nursing homes are under today, uh, it's just hard to get somebody who's willing to um, uh, put their uh, integrity and their um, their professional credibility on the line as much um, uh, difficulty as good nursing home care is to deliver. And How would you say people would go about recognizing uh, leadership qualities in someone? What would you say are the qualities that you would see that would help you identify a particular person uh, in order to decide to cultivate them into a leader or a manager of, at some level? Well, at um, my own uh, experience, um, 
I had potential for this that the guy that hired me, my boss and mentor, uh, the late Scott Houston, he saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. And I think that's how most of uh, leaders um, in our field uh, get um, appointed. Somebody says, you know, you got a lot of potential. How about take on um, an assignment or a project or, or, um, uh, and, see, and see what they um, uh, can do? The, the three things that I looked for um, and kind of learned over the years that are essential to anybody that works in the organization because anybody can be a leader. You can be a um, uh, you can be a nursing staff person and 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 not have a title of CEO, but be a leader. And um, the military learned this a long time ago. They're leaders in all kinds of positions. But the thing that I'm looking for most uh, are competence, compassion, and chemistry. Uh, they got to know what they're doing, especially today with uh, the sophistication of infection control uh, like we have never faced uh, before. The last time we faced this was the AIDS, uh, HIV AIDS crisis, where all of a sudden um, uh, people with AIDS were being uh, referred to nursing homes. Uh, but you got to be competent. Uh, you're looking for people that are compassionate, and I call them naturally therapeutic because they've got to be able to rate, uh, relate to not only residents, most of whom have some kind of impairment, um, um, mental impairment in addition to whatever physical impairments they have, and they've got to be able to handle those people along with um, anxious and angry and upset families. So you've got to be naturally therapeutic to know how to handle uh, all of that. And the third thing is chemistry. You've got to be able to work with other people, um, and if uh, one of those three things is missing, I don't care what the job is, uh, you're, you're asking for um, trouble. Now, um, the Leadership Academy um, uh, is, um, bases a lot of its uh, academic um, uh, foundation around uh, experts like uh, Jim Collins and Peter Singe and uh, James McGregor Burns, uh, Martin Luther King, um, uh, uh, Dr. Judy Brown, who is the academic uh, leader of it, uh, Chate Ryan and Taylor at um, Harvard, who um, uh, I think are in charge of their nonprofit um, uh, program. And um, uh, so it has a strong academic foundation around the principles of um, leadership. And uh, the Burns, um, Judy Brown, model is based on what's called leadership from within, that is, people that have innate capabilities of leadership and how do you help them discover those as opposed to a checklist of uh, competencies um, uh, that uh, uh, experiences or degrees that people uh, might have. So Jim Collins says you got to get the right people on the bus, yep. and you got to get them on the right seats on the bus. And um, on the other side of the coin, you got to get rid of people who aren't in the right place and uh, mm -hmm. don't. Uh, some of the biggest mistakes I've ever made in management are hanging on to somebody too long that mm -hmm. wasn't going to make it or trying to make somebody into something they would never be. Right. So, you know, um, I just want to ask, uh, if you don't mind, I just want to ask a Rubina sure. a question because Rubina mm -hmm. works, uh, she has her own company, and Rubina develops uh, uh, leaders as well. You work a lot with leadership, don't you, Rubina? 
Yes, yes, I do. And, so, uh, so what do you think about, um, you know, what what Larry is saying about, uh, or what do you look for when you're looking when you're seeking out younger mm-hmm. people to be leaders? Uh, I think Larry is is right on, and uh, you do need to have the right people on the bus, and you as a leader you need to have the courage to get those people off the bus. I think that's the hardest part that I'm finding. And, yeah, yeah uh, that's the truth, Rubina. Yeah, the hardest part is when you have them, how do you get, get them off the bus? And uh, Larry, this is, this is wonderful. It's uh, music to my ears. I'm a, I'm a management consultant by profession who became an owner of an engineering consulting company. And now I'm founder of a, a nonprofit, uh, Olive Community Services for Senior Support Services. So I'd, I, I appreciate your insight into management, but I'd like to know a little bit more about the organization leading age. Um, how does it function? What does it do? And how does one become a member? Uh, well, the the um, uh, it functions as a. As an association, it's you know made up of peers all over the country. Okay. It has a mm-hmm. very strong business component because we can't do what we do uh, without support from um, the business community. People buy, provide the capital and the, uh, the the supplies and the equipment and uh, and the marketing consulting and the HR consulting. Um, so we feel like we're all in this um, together. And together they create um, um, a, um, a, a leadership development agenda mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Um, that, that uh, the symbol of which is the academy, but everybody uh, needs to continue to grow and develop. And so there are specialized programs from governing body uh, development, which, by the way, I spend um, uh, some of my time on, the um, Peter Singe and others um, um, say that organizations are perfectly designed to produce what they do produce. So if you don't like, um, if you think you're uh, you're uh, producing um, uh, blue uh, squares and you keep getting uh, red widgets, uh, you can mm-hmm. fire everybody up and down the line. But until you change the headwaters, mm-hmm. uh, you're right. going to keep getting. Uh, but the headwaters in nonprofits. Uh, our uh, boards of directors. I noticed, um, uh, Rabina, and you probably uh, could comment on this, that uh, every single um, uh, cr- organization crisis that came to me when I was at leading age, uh, where, where the organization had gotten into trouble, in every single case, um, the, except for a natural disaster like Katrina, or when the economy hit the skids in 2008, um, every other time the reason the organization got into trouble was that the board was asleep at the switch. Mm-hmm. So if the board is I, not functioning properly, yeah. uh, you can expect somewhere down the line uh, there to be problems. So right. we start I, I, there, and we, we got a board development, we got a CEO, we got emerging leaders, uh, leading age. Leading age also has a an applied research component headed up by Dr. Robin Stone, who's a internationally respected um, um, social scientist. In recent years, uh, she has been doing 
applied research on how to create a healthy culture of learning mm. uh, inside an organization. How do you attract and retain right. um, uh, people in every type of position, especially frontline? I tell boards at retreats, let me tell you who the most trusted person in your organization has to be. It has to be the nurse's aide Mm -hmm. that is on the Saturday night to Sunday morning Mm -hmm. night shift on your dementia unit. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and when was the last time you met with, had a meeting on a night shift uh, to hear, well, most of them haven't. So well, how do you create cultures like that? I just wanted to say something about what you just said, which is it's almost the idea of um, uh, management by wandering around. There's a, a, a management style called that. I didn't know that until I was doing some research recently. And, and how do you find that out? You find that out by showing up and being visible and talking exactly. to those people and understanding what they're going through and, and hear, hearing their concerns. And from my vantage point, from being in so many facilities, I've seen so many administrators, director of nurses, who rarely leave their office. They just depend on what other people tell them. And everybody filters information through their own perception. Or, well, as somebody said, a desk is a, is a dangerous place from which to run a company. <laughs> right. You're so, exactly. so right. I'll tell you what, when I was at Wesley Woods, uh, you, you can learn an awful lot by showing up at uh, 1 a.m. with a bag of sausage biscuits and, uh, or a box of donuts and saying, ladies and gentlemen, tell me what's going on. Right. But, you know, this is, this is wonderful, wonderful, Larry, but you mentioned something that, uh, that makes me want to shout out to the, to the nurse's aide who works the Saturday night to Sunday morning uh, shift and my experience. Yes. Uh, my mom, 92 years old, in assisted living in Canada, I was allowed to camp on her sofa when I would go to visit her. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I would sleep on my mom's sofa for a couple of nights. Uh, and, uh, and it was reasonably comfortable because I bought it and I knew I would be sleeping on it. And I made friends with that particular person. The lady, the very nice, the very nice lady, who worked the night shift by herself, a heart of gold, and in the last few months of um, the in this COVID environment, when my mom went from hip surgery to rehab and she couldn't come back to assisted living. Who was it that came in to support me and help me? It was that that young lady. Mm, wow. I reached out to her. Oh, it is yep. truly an incredible story, and it's real life. And <laughs> well, you ought to write that story to, up and send it you know, to Next Avenue, because that's the kind of people that ought to be celebrated. You know, that's worth celebrating. She you know, went to my mom's apartment. She wanted certain this, certain this, certain this. Sure, sure, I can do that. And I mean, just amazing. And then I had to vacate my mom's apartment virtually. And one night in between his, her chores, she called me. I got up and we got on FaceTime. And Phyllis, I shared this with you. Mm-hmm. 
I had to clear my mom's clothes, sort my mom's clothes, and who came to my help was just this very special person, which I didn't even know was such a special person until you said this now, Larry. You know, uh, if I could could give them a job title, it would be Angels of Mercy. Right. Because that's what they are. Truly, yes. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and and now it may not be that everybody has the opportunity, um, a family member, let's say, to do what you did, Rubina. I mean, that was an extraordinary opportunity. But there are other ways that people can let people know that they're connected with them, they appreciate what they're doing. Uh, you and I, Rubina, have had this conversation several right. times because it is true that the certified nursing assistant or the certified nurse's aide spends 90% of the time with that person, more than anybody yep, else if, in the um, building. Yes. If uh, CEOs or if part of board orientation, um, to be a new board member, you have to spend the night at one of your communities and um, and get to know some of the staff and what uh, goes on. Um, the the, um, uh, the the accountability for what goes on would strengthen multiple fold. Um, this is why I believe so much in the nonprofit sector because it's locally uh, it's owned by the community as represented by trustees and directors. Uh, some of the publicly traded companies. I've had arguments with my for-profit friends. I said, okay, if um, there needs to be more accountability, um, if I, if, when I was at Wesley Woods, if somebody had a bad experience over the weekend, I knew about it before Monday came because uh, somebody would call me. It could be, it could be the bishop's office. It could be um, a prominent physician. It could be a donor to say uh, the Doe family, the Jane Doe family, had a bad experience over the weekend. And um, I knew that I need to get that straightened out. I said, uh-huh. now, who does, uh, who does uh, you know, Huey, Dewey, and Louie Incorporated with a board of directors all over the world, who do they call? Uh, if, you, if you'll put somebody on call over the weekend, uh, we, can, uh, we can talk about uh, things we could do together around accountability. Right. But um, our sector, uh, we're all responsible for somebody else's mother with somebody else's money. And uh, that requires a very close uh, scrutiny, transparency, accountability. And that's what, what, part of what's been a glaring problem in these recent months as we've looked at um, uh, some of the tragedy that, um, that the nursing home sector has faced. Mm-hmm. Uh, Larry, what percentage do you know of our facilities are uh, managed by nonprofits and what are for 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 profit? Is there a statistic available readily? Uh, it's it's uh, it's about eighty percent for profit. Yep. Uh-huh. In the um, in the nursing home sector, it's uh-huh. probably at least that much in the assisted living sector, which is uh-huh. uh, fairly loosely defined. And um, mm-hmm. some people that are into assisted living, for-profit and non-profit, really know what they're doing. And others, you know, they were in, um, they were in uh, strip malls uh, 10 years ago in their, uh, or medical office buildings, and today they're into, uh, right. so, so they're in the commodities mm-hmm. business. They develop these mm-hmm. things and turn around and sell them. And uh, we don't believe human life, especially with uh, dementia involved, is a commodities business. 
right. And um, mm-hmm. so um, uh, we we uh, it's the 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 nonprofits are the ones that uh, stand the test of time um, in every community, and we want to do everything we can to make sure they can stay um, in business. Um, yeah. But uh, it, that's right. not to say that the for-profit sector is inherently bad because they're, I mean, I've worked with some very good people in that sector. But um, uh, I, we used to, I, I used to tell our members that they change too slowly. The sin, of, um, the sin of the non-profit sector is sloth, and the sin of the for-profit sector is greed. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's what we have to guard against all the time. I, well, I, we uh, are definitely in support of uh, of nonprofits in this area, uh, and uh, you know, Olive Community Services is is following your leadership, and um, I, I will definitely be recommending to my board and uh, looking into your membership op- opportunities because I see uh, us following your leadership as we develop. And now I think we're getting close to taking a break. So shortly we will return to Seniors Straight Talk with Larry Minix from Leading Age. Phyllis Amon, owner of Phyllis Amon Associates, provides strategic solutions to families seeking care for their loved ones and coaches them to become more effective advocates. Her expertise comes from working in over 45 nursing homes. Phyllis, known for her passion, empathy, high-quality care standards, and quality life for older adults, is an experienced educator, speaker, and trainer. She's bridged the gap from healthcare to public and private sector businesses on topics from communication, caregiving, empathy, and novel approaches to team building and leadership. Rubina Chaudhry is president and founder of Mars Services, an engineering management consulting firm, as well as founder and president of Olive Community Services, a 501c3 providing support services to seniors, families, and the community. Olive's Live, Learn, and Thrive programs engage seniors physically, mentally, and socially. Rubina's passion for seniors stems from her experiences as an only child, living miles away from her aging parents who are over 90 years of age. She understands the issues and decisions caregivers face. Visit olivecs.org for further information. We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But don't forget to make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. You are tuned in to Senior Straight Talk with Phyllis Amon and Rubina Chaudhry. If you'd like to leave us a question or comment about our program, please feel free to email the hosts at phyllis at seniorstraighttalk.com. Now, back to Senior Straight Talk. Welcome back to Senior Straight Talk. We are talking with Larry Minix from Leading Age. Larry, we're talking about the organizational aspects of, uh, of delivering services for our seniors. Uh, can you share your thoughts on governance and what governance models work best? Uh, well, I think the governance models that work uh, best are um, the trend is toward uh, smaller boards instead of dozens of people on a board. 
um, get, uh, getting uh, standards uh, that uh, you're expected, the CEO is expected to manage to, um, approaching governance and leadership as a team sport, not just a hierarchical uh, sport, uh, having um, uh, metrics. Um, most metrics um, um, uh, are financial. Uh, mm -hmm. What we need now that's as important as financial metrics is human resources metrics. For example, what is your retention uh, rate? Uh, what does, um, how often do you do staff satisfaction surveys and what do you do about them? And uh, that used to be something, if anybody did them at all, they did them once or twice a year. Those probably need to be done every week and looked at every week because people are, are everything. So board's got to decide um, um, what, it, what, what its high standards should be. Uh, Jim Collins says uh, you've got to decide in your planning um, what are you, uh, what's your passion, what drives your economic engine, and what do you want to be the best in the world at? Um, right. And um, A.G. Rhodes, which is a 100-plus-year-old uh, nonprofit, it's decided it's got three nursing homes, and it's got a lot, of, a lot of organizations running away from the nursing home business because it's just too complicated. Um, Rhodes, um, uh, along with, say, the Parker Home in New Jersey, um, have decided they want to be uh, the best in the world at nursing home care. And... Um, Especially in the treatment of dementia, and uh, and they're they're getting their their focus around being that because uh, the dementia is not going away, and people uh, the the population is aging. I tell boards if you're not going to be um, uh, if you're not going to strive to be the best nursing home care that that can be delivered, um, you can't do it halfway anymore. Uh, get out of the business and turn it over to somebody else that. Uh, that can, but governance—that's the governance um, agenda, if you will—is the people, the resources, the standards, the direction, uh -huh. um, uh -huh. and that's a community discussion that uh, needs to take place in every community. What do you want your nursing homes to be? And then, right. if you if you if you want some really good ones, there's no question uh, you've got to pay people a uh, living wage and benefits. You got to give them opportunities. Uh, for growth uh, development, you got to stabilize their personal life situation. You can't uh, uh, pay somebody a minimum wage and and then uh, have them work uh, two or three jobs. Um, you just can't do that anymore. You don't you don't do that with airline pilots, and um, mm -hmm. you don't do that with um, uh, critical care nurses. Uh, you you um, you decide what it's going to take for them to be really good, and you help them uh, to do it. Um, but, bad care, uh, I've heard it say, is, is more expensive than good care. So let's, let's aspire to define what good care is and, and find those organizations that want to deliver it. Uh, absolutely. Uh, Rubina asked you a question in the previous segment, um, and you had said that 80% of the nursing homes in this country are for profit. Uh, so in, in that sense, um, and there are some really good ones. I've encountered yes. excellent ones, and then I've encountered ones that were certainly not so excellent or, or far from excellent. And uh, it's just, I think, something that you just said, because you have to decide, I think, when you go into this business. I always say to the people I know in this business that you've gone into the taking care of people business. 
So yep. being that that's the, what the purpose of your business is, I would hope that foremost in your mind is taking the best care of people that you can. Well, um, you yeah. hope uh, the good ones will do that. Uh, the ones that are not so good, their objective is to figure out how to wring as much money out of the reimbursement as they possibly can. And that's where we oftentimes get into, get into the quality um, uh, uh, trouble. And um, uh, nursing, nursing homes, uh, we created a quality initiative um, back under the Bush administration that uh, for about 15 years worked. It took a continuous quality improvement model of defining national standards that a number of organizations, AARP, labor, uh, et cetera, got behind and um, uh, made um, 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 a dozen or so consecutive years of progress on those metrics. So continuous quality improvement management works. So how do you get that um, uh, in the culture of every nursing home organization uh, in the country? That's the job that we all have. But it takes an investment, and so far the, the, um, the, the taxpayer – and the government has been had been really unwilling to make that investment um, uh, financially to make nursing homes really good. Well, I and I think that goes hand in hand with our attitudes about older people. Uh, no question about it. Right, how we think about them, we think uh, that as a society, I'm not talking about us here on this conversation. <laughs> hopefully, <laughs> that uh, once a person is no longer. Uh, of contributing to the workforce, they're not productive in that way, that they kind of have outlived their usefulness. And um, we all know that the words we use affect our attitudes. I myself, just a uh, little while ago, or I should say earlier this morning, I was having a conversation with someone. It just goes to show how embedded some of this is in our minds, in our language, and in our culture. And I was saying to the person, because the word old is something that really irks me. Uh, I've talked about this before. In our culture, we say, how old are you? From the time you're born, how old are you? And uh, the word old is always reinforced. And I was talking with someone about uh, experiences we had years ago, and I said to him, I guess I'm old school. And then I caught myself, and I said, gee, I'm doing that myself. No, I'm a traditionalist. (laughs) (laughs) And I I think what I'm hearing, uh, Larry, as the the leader in this nonprofit, Olive Community Services, I am really grateful that I met you and Phyllis. Thank you for introducing us and definitely will be looking towards leading edge for some of the guidelines as we grow as an organization and uh, and develop our programs and uh, and Phyllis and I are very passionate about about creating i will say good spaces for our for our elders mm-hmm. yeah good spaces good living environments yeah. absolutely good. and yeah. uh I wanted, since we're talking about aging and attitudes and uh, how we think and the words we use, uh, Leading Age is part of something called the Global Aging Network. I had uh, Katie Smith Sloan on several weeks ago uh, where she talked about the Global Aging Network. Do you want to talk about it a little bit as well? Because I think, uh, wasn't Katie Smith Sloan or isn't Katie Smith Sloan your successor? 
Yes, she is. I'm uh, proud to say uh, I was looking for, um, uh, shortly after coming to Ben Asa, uh, looking for um, uh, sort of a number two, if you will, and um, uh, I spent 15 minutes with Katie, and I said, uh, she's, she's the one we're looking for right there. And I had some people mad with me because I didn't interview anybody else. Um, but we became a team, and uh, in my mind, um, and, the, and the board, uh, while they had an open national search, uh, they selected Katie, and um, she is um, uh, she is bringing a unique perspective around the very issue you're talking about, Phyllis, and that is ageism, because ageism, like the other isms, racisms. Um, their uh, classism they're at the at the at the um at the headwaters of a lot of the problems we face today around um uh around uh, elder uh care and senior services and um the isms uh, are based on uh fear of people um uh, this is why we have so many institutions in this country compared to other countries out of sight out of mind um, and um, uh, Katie is uh, working with uh, the Global Aging Network because they're countries that don't have some of the same problems we do. I, I remember talking with an Australian uh, leader a number of years ago, and um, I said, you don't seem to have the same fight, uh, fights that we do in the U.S. around some of this public policy stuff. And he said, no. He said, I'll tell you why. And I said, why? And he said, because we've basically decided that older people and people with disabilities are valuable people in our country. You haven't made that decision yet. So once you decide they're valuable, then the argument every year is over, uh, is over resources and how much do you put into various uh, kinds of categories as opposed to all these other fights that um, Americans have and you're not satisfied with uh, results uh, you're getting. So she is addressing ageism. Uh, the other thing that I think um, uh, that you guys, I hope, will get more involved in as consumers and professionals is the advocacy agenda. Uh, there needs to be a way to permanently finance um, uh, aging care where the dollars follow the person and uh, people can get help uh, getting um assistance for their loved ones at home because um, 80 percent of nursing home care goes on in families homes and yet we yeah. uh, uh, are spending 70 percent of our medicaid dollars in um, institutional nursing home care mm -hmm. all of that's the kind of stuff that needs to be changed and uh, so uh, she and her team and today's leading age association are working uh, on those issues um, there's a third one too and there's not enough low-income housing uh, for seniors, and especially services, housing with services models. And that, that means that simple things that can be done in, in uh, senior um, uh, rental um, um, uh, accommodations that can help people uh, get out of the hospital sooner and stay out of the hospital. Some of those are very inexpensive models, but sometimes we wait till people get too sick. They have to go to the hospital. We pay a lot of money. We send them home. We don't support them when they get there, and they go back to the hospital. They're they're they call they're called frequent flyers, mm -hmm. and um, we're spending a lot of money for them to get worse and worse. Right. Uh, so those are the kind of things that Leading Age is uh, working on, and uh, also um, 
uh, under her leadership the kind of things that she's sort of uniquely professionally prepared to address. Hmm. Now, attacking by leading age, what are the membership requirements? What's the membership composition? Uh, You've got to be a, a nonprofit and pay your dues and hopefully show up at meetings. Um, and um, uh, and, and it, it, uh, you just got to be a bona fide uh, 501c3 um, uh, organization. Um, and then there's a professional category uh, for people uh, like you guys. And there's a uh, quote-unquote uh, retired uh, category for people like me. I don't. Uh, I don't particularly think retirement is a is a contemporary word anymore. Uh, but um, mm. uh, that's that's what I uh, am. Uh, so um, uh, I, I um, uh, met with a, a a board in the Midwest a uh, 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 year or so before I retired, and we were going around the table as a board retreat. And I was asking each of these people how they got involved with this particular faith-based organization that had been around over 100 years. And one guy identified himself. He was a high-powered corporate exec. He's, now, he said he's retired. He, um, I said, well, what do you do every day? And he said, well, i got a small farm. And he said, I start every day tending to that. And I said, so how many boards are you on? And he said, um, well, I'm on this board. And he said, hmm, I, I'm on the the uh, college board down the block, and he said, I'm uh, on the hospital authority board, and um, uh, I'm the incoming president of uh, my civic club. And I said, so does that sound like retirement to you? (laughs) He said, said, you know, I never thought of it that way. But he said, I guess what I do is I get up every day, and I do whatever I damn well please. And I said, so you're a a do-dammer. We, we need a whole new title for people like you call do-dammers, mm. and um, we'll put them to work um, uh, because you're you're what's keeping the community uh, alive and thriving and meeting needs and raising money and um, uh, so um, I think I think uh, probably in churches and synagogues the single biggest undervalued unused um, underutilized uh, human resource in the country is uh, people that are quote-unquote retired. Oh, Amen well, to I, that. Absolutely. What, what you just said, uh, uh, a few weeks ago I had a conversation with Frank Shankowitz, the founder of the Make-A-Wish Foundation, and uh-huh. he said that very thing, that the best gift that you can give that there's, is your time. Uh, people tend to think I, sometimes that they have to have a lot of money or a lot of resources or connections, uh, but that's not really true. Uh, a, a small um, you know, contribution in terms of time can make a huge difference in someone's life and in the life of an organization. Uh, Rubina, you know in your organization somebody can be doing something that seems like a small, I'll say, task uh, kind of, just for purposes of the conversation, but it cre- can create a, a tremendous value for the organization as a whole. De- definitely. And Larry, to me, the definition yes. of retire, retired or retirement is when you don't have to look for the paycheck and you can just <laughs> work right. as much as you want when you yep. want. That's my, that's my definition. You know, um, I am... I'm, this is to a budding 
I guess a socialpreneur, entrepreneur in the social area, this is music to my ears. Uh, what, how much does the membership cost, approximately? Uh, it, it, the, for providers, it's uh, sort of a sliding scale. Some of the smaller um, organizations that depend on, um, you know, Medicaid and Older Americans Act, they uh-huh. pay less than a large life plan community that um, has got, you know, a, a thousand apartments of different uh, accommodations. Right. So it's, it's pretty much a sliding scale thing and a uh, professional, mm-hmm. I, I don't know what the professional uh, rate is, but it isn't much. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, it's great, wonderful, wonderful organization. Wonderful organization. Uh, Larry, moving forward, what do you think it's going to take for the country to develop long-term care plans for our older adults that will instill confidence in the population? Because, let's face it, most people don't have confidence in nursing homes. Uh, I don't know how many people differentiate those that are profit from nonprofit. I think they just see it all as as one big industry. What would you say about that? Well, I think until the the consumer, uh, until there's a um, a uh, some kind of a national um, <clears throat> public insurance program, which was in the original um, um, uh, Obamacare uh, plan, but it got cut out. Uh, later, it's called Class. Uh, Senator Kennedy was a big fan of it. It was a it was a program where we all pay in uh, when we start to um, uh, start our working life, um, and um, um, until uh, until there's something like that, where consumers um, are 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 um, getting a basic um, service for the premiums they're paying. They can decide how the money is spent. Um, you're not going to have the kind of accountability for quality that um, that you really want to have. Um, um, I think um, the uh, the oversight mechanism. Um, if you've seen one Medicaid program, if you've seen one licensure um, inspection kind of program, you've seen one program, um, and. Um, um, I think that uh, more than anything else, the consumer is going to have to get um, uh, smarter uh, about um, about um, uh, about good nursing home care. <laughs> you can determine uh, good nursing home care. There um, there there are ways to do that. Uh, most communities know what the uh, <coughs> excuse me know what uh, good care looks like. They know the good nursing homes in their community. Uh, reputation is probably the most um, important indicator. Um, when you visit, do you trust your senses? Does the place smell like uh, Clorox or does it smell like fried chicken? Right. Um, is there an ant? I look for an ant farm of activity going on. Right. Um, I watch uh, staff interaction um, uh, uh, to to see if there is the kind of thing that we were talking about with this. Um, a staff member, Rabina, that you um, uh, uh, interacted with. <clears throat> what is the food and the dining like? Um, what access do they have to health services in the community and emergency response? I want to know who owns it and who's on the board and uh, how often they meet. Um, and I want to interview the leadership and uh, maybe some other families and volunteers. Uh, so <clears throat> and then you want to look at the public inspections. You can pretty much uh, determine 
who the good ones are, separate the wheat from the chaff uh, by those kinds of uh, factors. Hmm. Uh, you just said something that I, I find interesting because I've never actually suggested that to anyone, and I think it's very important that when you go to visit a facility, of course now people can't do that, but under other circumstances, uh, why not say that you'd like to speak with the administrator or the director of nurses? Um, why just I rely on the, the person that's giving you the tour? Absolutely, and you, I'll tell you the person you ought to uh, want to talk to as well is the director of nursing. Right. And you want to know who the medical director is. <clears throat> and um, mm-hmm. you might not be able to talk to the medical director very easily, but you want to know who it, who it is and whether he or she is connected to uh, a local hospital that's good. And uh, Because uh, some of the worst problems that older people face in nursing homes is in transitions back and forth between the hospital and the nursing home. Absolutely. Uh, Mary, if, if I may, um, Olive is now four years old, nonprofit, 501c3, and we, our aim is big. What advice can you give to Olive in general and to me in particular because I'm kind of the driver one of the leaders, drivers behind this initiative, please. Well, I think uh, number one is um, make sure you're focused on your highest and best purpose and make sure you are establishing relationships with friends uh, that can help you carry out their mission, your mission, and you carry out theirs. Uh, Too many nonprofits try to do things by themselves and they won't work with other organizations very well. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, uh, don't try to do be a lone ranger. Um, there's just so much more that can be done with organizations like yours in collaboration with organizations that I'm familiar with, but people don't mm-hmm. talk. Um, so create something together. I tell our members, if you want to improve it in the community, call a meeting. And uh, people mm-hmm. will usually show up at a meeting around an important objective together. Mm-hmm. And um, okay. um, so, so just you know, uh, you, and be willing to give it up at some point, marry it off. Be willing to marry it off to the right suitor um, if uh, if um, if you can play a constructive purpose, a larger purpose in the community. Oh, that's sending chills in my body because I believe that so much that that at the same time you need to be developing the next set of leaders, uh, next set of leaders. Well, I think Margaret Mead said is it feasible to think that a small group of people can change the world. She said it's the only thing that ever has. So uh, what I think you want to do is create that small group of people that's going to change the world in your community. Mm-hmm. I, I appreciate this very, very, very much. So you've given me three, three pointers. Keep your highest and best purpose in mind. Develop relationships. Don't be a lone ranger. And be willing to give it to the next person. And I also have a personal management philosophy, Larry, that I'll share with you. To me, it's that the sign of a good organization is that it runs better in the 
absence of the manager than in the presence of the manager. And that's <laughs> the kind of organization I'm trying to create in Olive. Well, I, I believe for a long time that um, when things are going well in organizations, the top people get too much credit, and when they're going poorly, they don't get enough blame. Uh, I, I agree 100%. And that actually, I have read that about a, a good leader, to actually share the responsibility but take the blame. Yeah, I remember the, the uh, famous uh, successful coach, Bear Bryant, uh, <clears throat> when Alabama would win, uh, the coaches and the players and all that got all the credit. When, the, when they lost, he'd say, you know, I don't have anybody to blame but myself. Right. Well, and and those are very those are very true words. I'd say, definitely. Um, so you know, we're coming up to the last couple of couple of minutes here. I think we've covered so many valuable insights, and your knowledge is so vast, Larry. I have a very quick question because we only have. Two minutes. We've talked a lot about nonprofits, and we only briefly touched on the fact that 80% of the nursing homes are, are for profit in this country. So, just quickly, are there organizations that uh, are dedicated to membership for for profit organizations? And if so, just what it, what is it before we we end? Well, there there are uh, some larger organizations that will accept for profit and not for profit membership. Leading age will only accept nonprofit membership. Mm-hmm. So there, there are a bunch of uh, trade associations out there that have been around a long time and uh, done some good things. But um, uh, leading age is not a trade association; it's a public benefit association. The C3 right. is the is the magic uh, uh, label there. Um, and of course, um, um, everybody's a member of um, AARP and their other. Um, good uh, disease management associations that are uh, the Alzheimer's. There are several Alzheimer's groups that people can get involved in um, for personal uh, support. Um, right. I think the, um, uh, <clears throat> the uh, after I retired, uh, quote, unquote, um, I was questioned what was I going to do with myself, and I decided to write a book about um, stories I had encountered on people who'd addressed very difficult uh, situations um, successfully. <clears throat> and um, so it's my attempt to provide a public benefit of a broader nature, not just um, an institutional or association-based kind of thing. So you can go to my website. I publish words of wisdom and blogs. It's called Hallowed Ground. Uh, my website is LarryMinix.com. Uh, my book is Hallowed Ground, Stories of Successful Aging. And I promise you, it'll make you laugh, it'll make you cry, and you'll find some solutions in there from people that have uh, lived um, uh, lived these events and have come out the other side in uh, in uh, most of the time in very good shape. Well, thank you so much, Larry, for taking the time to share your your valuable insights and knowledge once again. Please join us on our next episode of Senior Straight Talk for more informative conversations for the senior years of our lives. Until then, stay safe, stay well, and stay tuned. Thank you for listening to Senior Straight Talk. Join your hosts, Phyllis Amon and Rubina Chaudhry, again soon for another episode on the Voice America Empowerment Channel or your favorite podcast platforms. 